Father, as we come again to your holy word to examine this difficult passage in the book of Daniel, as we progress through the series of sermons on the book of Daniel, Father, we give praise and thanks to you that we can take the time to be able to pause from our daily schedules and to be able to listen to what you have to say to us. So, Father, we pray for your spirit to intervene in this, these moments Take the words of your servant's mouth and use them to affect your glory in our lives, that we may again see your greatness, the grandeur and the glory of your mighty God and the wondrous work of his Son. So, Father, as we come humbly before you, we pray that you take these moments and make them yours. In Jesus' name, Amen. When I was growing up in Singapore, my dad was working at a pet shop. One day, an Indian guru walked into the shop. He was dressed in a traditional Indian garb and had a parrot on his shoulder. In, in Singapore then, these Indian gurus were many and they were mostly fortune tellers. So he came to tell the fortune of my dad. Some of them, some of these fortune tellers were fragrant liars they just want money out of your pocket. Others are truly demon-possessed. Anyway, um, they would come, usually it's to start off by telling you uh, something about you that's not very apparent in order to get your money. So on this day, the Indian fortune teller came and began telling my father a few things that were not so apparent. He said, Sir, in a very sacred and a very harsh tone, he said to my father, I can see that you have two boys and their ages are 8 and 10. My father was just not impressed and he was not interested in getting his fortunes read. So he simply did not respond. It was then the Guru said something that was quite peculiar. He said to my father, Sir, one of your sons, in fact your second son, will become an evangelist in Europe someday. My father was livid. His blood was boiling with anger. You need to understand that while I was growing up, I was often sick and often did not do well in school. I was never involved in sports. I had a stuttering problem that was so bad that I never taught much. I had no friends. I literally did things all by myself. I was just a mouse often hiding at home. And when I was in school, I was always sitting alone by myself. The last thing anyone could say at a time about me was being an evangelist. So my dad thought that this Indian guru was trying to make fun of me. So he was extremely, extremely upset. But my father held his breath and said to the guru, Sir, would you wait here while I make you a cup of chai tea? And he went back to the store grabbed a broom and with all his might rushed out shouting to the guru if you are really a fortune teller you would know that I'm coming with this broom to whack your behind and the Indian guru ran as fast as he could out of the store and his parrot flew a few streets away but in hindsight what the Indian guru say wasn't entirely wrong because my father's second son, and that is me, indeed grew up to become an evangelist and a preacher. Although I've never been to Europe, and I don't know where the European part came, comes in. 
Too many of us don't really have, uh, uh, don't really believe in these things, but Satan is still alive and well. And Satan can use fortune tellers to distract us from the gospel. And there is such thing as the spirit world. There is such thing as Satan and evil spirits. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 tells us that the gods of this age have one agenda. They seek to blind us to the light of the gospel. Satan will do anything to make us rely on fortune tellers for our future rather than God. Satan will do everything and anything to blind us to the gospel. And Jesus tells us in Matthew 24 verse 24 that we shouldn't be surprised because Satan can use great signs and wonders to distract us, to lead people astray. So we need to be careful that there is such thing as the spirit world that Satan does use these so-called fortune tellers to distract us from God. And these evil spirits can be very powerful. This is the thrust of Daniel chapter 10. So we're studying through the series in the book of Daniel. We come to chapter 10. Right through the chapters, uh, the books of the, uh, in the book of Daniel, God loves his people so much that God is willing to be patient with Daniel to show Daniel, especially in chapter 9, how he will save his world and bring the people out of exile. But chapter 10 is a very, very intimate passage because here God is not just showing Daniel the broad, big brush strokes of how he will save the world. He did that in chapter 9. Here in chapter 10, God brings Daniel behind the scenes to the spirit world to see for himself, to allow Daniel to see for himself the events that are actually happen on earth, the spirit world behind what was happening. So let's put Daniel chapter 10 in context. We are told in Daniel chapter 10 verse 4 that this chapter happened in the first month of the new year. On the 24th, this is verse 4, on the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, the first month of the new year was supposed to be the Passover month. Every faithful Jew was supposed to celebrate the Passover meal on the 14th of the month. But here we find that Daniel was fasting during these festive, this festive occasion. Why? We are not told. But it could be that Daniel was somehow sad as to how God would bring the Jews out of captivity, especially with all the foreign powers opposing them and working against them. How would God do that? So God in His grace brings Daniel behind the scenes to show Daniel his plans and what was actually going on with all these foreign powers trying to get at God's people. So God brings Daniel behind the scenes here in what is what I call a great war, great star wars has been happening. God's been fighting this great war and this is found in verse 1. This is a, a vision about a great war, great star wars between God and the evil powers going on. That this whole conquest 
of the Persians and the Babylonians were not just human beings being naughty. But there is a great war between God and the evil powers at work. And we want to look at this great Star Wars by looking at just three characters in this great Star Wars. The first character we want to look at is God. God, the cosmic warrior priest. We are told in this vision, in verse 4, that God is represented as a man that was at the banks of the river Tigris. Unlike the other beasts in Daniel's other visions, they all came out of the waters and they look, they are all disgruntled beasts. But God doesn't come out of the waters. God doesn't come out of chaos, which is what the waters represent. And God is not a beast, but God is represented as a human being. A human being who understands us, a human being who is sympathetic towards us, a human being with feelings, a human being with understanding unlike the beast. But he's a special human being in the sense that he is both a priest and a warrior. Where do I get that? Verse 5. Daniel looked up, and there before me was a man dressed in linen. Or badim, which is the Hebrew word, which is linen, which is what the priest wore. And also, he also had a belt of gold from our past. The belt of gold in our past, from our past, is the, the type of belt that the Babylonian warriors used to wear. So what, what uh, this image of God is being portrayed here is that God is both a priest dressed in the priestly garb, but also a warrior with the warrior belt around him. But what is most interesting about God in this Star Wars is, his, uh, is in verse 6. We read that his body was like topaz, his face was like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and his legs like glimmed, like the glimmed of broker. Uh, burnished bronze, and his voice was like the sound of a multitude. This is a description of God here in this vision. But what on earth does it mean? What on earth does it mean to have a man whose face looked like lightning, flashes of lightning? Can't even draw that on picture, can you? The images here sound really bizarre. You know, God having a body of topaz, his face was like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, Armed of a burnished bronze, he speaks with a sound of multitude. His voice is so loud that it was like a host of people shouting. This is quite a bizarre image of God. But not if you understand Nahum chapter 2. Nahum chapter 2 is a very graphic picture of God attacking the city of Nineveh. And it's one of the most pictorial pictures of God as a warrior fighting against the city of Nineveh. In this picture in chapter 2, when God fights against the Ninevites, we see the shields of the soldiers all clad in red from the bloodshed. There was bloodshed everywhere. And Nahum chapter 2 verse 4 tells us that there were so many shields of the, uh, of the, the soldiers glistening in the, in the sun. So it looks like what? Lightning. Flashes of lightning blazing through the city. And there was so much outcry that the whole scene was filled with the multitude of voices crying out in pain as God attacks the city. 
by describing God's face like lightning, his face, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms like burning burnished bronze, and his voice like the voice of the multitude. We are reminded here of Nahum chapter 2. God here is saying to Daniel, remember Nahum chapter 2. By my own strength, I took down the whole city of Nineveh. Where there, where the there was so much uh, 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 army, so many army soldiers against me, where the shields glistened like lightning flashing across the night, but yet I took them all down. So Daniel, don't be afraid. When I fight, when I fight those evil spirits, when I fight Satan's demonic spirits, don't be afraid that I will lose. Because my face will tell you that my face is a face of victory. My face flashes with lightning. Remember Nahum chapter 2. What is God saying here? Yes, Satan is alive and well. He does things to discourage the church. He does things to destroy God's plans. We cannot look to ourselves to redeem us from Satan's attacks. We need to look to God. That's why Daniel gives us such a beautiful picture of God here. That God has flashes of lightning across his face because he, just by looking at his face, spells victory. In the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City, hangs a picture of a gallant armored knight who was charging down a very narrow gorge. And as he was charging down this very narrow gorge, there was a goat-headed devil trying to grab hold of him. And there was a rotting corpse of death trying to pull this soldier down. But this soldier, this Galen armored knight, simply looked forward and would not let these, this, the devil and the, and, and, and the corpse bring him down. Because his eyes were charging and looking to the front as if he was looking to the father in his kingdom. I think that's what God is saying here in this chapter. Satan may do all his evil attempts, but our eyes need to look to this God, to God himself, because his face shines with victory. His body is filled with burnished bronze, so powerful, and his voice is like those of a multitude of people shouting. The second character I want to look at in this great Star Wars is the prince or the princess. We meet the princess here in verse 12. Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you made up your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, is the angel speaking, your words have been heard and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief uh, princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future for the vision concerns a time yet to come. God is telling Daniel here that the reason why there is a delay of three weeks in, uh, in, in an answer to Daniel's prayer was because God was in a cosmic battle with the prince of the Persian kingdom. This is not because God is weak and needs three weeks to defeat 
the demonic uh, Persian king. But rather, God in his mercy sometimes allows uh, evil to flourish for a temporal period so that his victory can be even more, be more resound. And, and the Bible tells us here in this vision that God has been in conflict with the prince of the Persian kingdom. Who is this prince of the Persian kingdom? I think the prince of the Persian kingdom here is Satan himself. Satan, who is the god, who is the god of this world, often assigned evil spirits to stand behind uh, rebellious pagan kings. So, to the human eye, we what we see is that the king of Persia and later the king of uh, Greece oppressing God's people. But behind the scenes, in what God is seeing. It's not just the prince of Persia attacking God's people. It is Satan's prince trying to attack God. So these princes, whether it's the prince of Persia or the prince of Greece, are all demonic forces trying to resist God and doing combat with God. What does this tell us? It reminds us that opposition to God's work, to human to human eyes may seem like, oh, it's just humans not getting along. But behind the humans actually stands Satan and his evil spirits fighting against God. Recently, a friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine, told me of a time he visited a church as a guest preacher some years ago. After the service, while he was having morning tea with this thriving congregation, one of the deacon's wife pulled him aside and a very harsh tone in a very harsh harsh tone said to this preacher friend of mine our pastor is now on vacation but the deacons have decided to fire him while he's on vacation and they're going to do it by email tonight oh why my pastor friend asked what happened oh the deacon's wife said it started when a couple of people in the church felt that the pastor's sermon was too simplistic. So they started to criticize the sermons. Very soon, more and more people were involved. And finally, they began to persuade and, began, and they, were, they succeeded in persuading the deacons to fire him. So they did fire the pastor by email that Sunday evening while he was on vacation. Not long after the church fell apart in the ensuing months, from a very thriving church of over 100 people, they shrunk to a tiny church of less than 20. The, pastors, the pastor and his wife were in such deep turmoil and stress that not too long after, the pastor's wife developed breast cancer. Later, the pastor himself developed cancer himself and he died about six weeks ago. His wife was left alone as a widow, barely living on welfare. To the world's eyes, you may say, it's politics, it's just people not agreeing, it's people having different definitions of what good preaching is all about, it's just people being disgruntled. But perhaps if you go behind the scenes, in reality, it is Satan. He uses gossips, criticisms to make impotent one of God's beloved church. So what am I saying here? Be very careful 
when you criticize God's work, you could be standing on the side of Satan. That's what Peter does, right, to Jesus. Peter does not want Jesus to go to the, on the cross, but Jesus did not say, Peter, you have got your sociology wrong. You do not understand the cross. You need a, a degree in theology to understand more about the cross. No, no, no. Did Jesus say to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Sometimes in our criticisms and our negativity, in criticizing God's work, we could be doing the work of Satan. Behind all of these disagreements could be Satan himself. So my caution to all of us is that we need to approach God's work and God's chosen leaders with care and trepidation and with humility and fear. We need to be more of an encouragers and be very reticent and careful when we criticize God's work. Until you know for sure and pray for sure that it's what God wants, let us be more encouragers rather than negatively trying to tear down the Word of God. The third person we want to look at in this Star Wars, in this cosmic war between God and the princes, is Daniel himself. Daniel, I find, of the three characters presented here in this vision, I find Daniel the strangest. Why? Look with me at verse 8. Daniel said, I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale and I was helpless. This is when God was speaking to him. He says this, Then I heard him speaking and I listened to him. I fell asleep. My face to the ground. As soon as God starts talking, what happens? Daniel starts sleeping. <laughs> Do you know how much comfort that is to us as preachers? <laughs> that even when God speaks, Daniel was sleeping. And it happens again in verses 15 to 18. Why was Daniel falling asleep every time when God speaks? Did Daniel have some kind of epilepsy? But this did not just happen to Daniel, it happened to Abraham too. When God wanted to cut the covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15 and 12, when it was time for God to cut the covenant, when it was time to proceed on with the procedure, the ritual of cutting the covenant, what happens? Abraham, the Bible tells us in Genesis 15 verse 2, fell asleep and God had to do it all by himself. Why did Daniel and Abraham fall asleep? Because the work of salvation cannot be done by man. God fights our battles and he does not need our help. He defeats the prince of Persia and later the prince of Greece by himself without our help. But what was Daniel's role in this spiritual warfare? Verse 16. Then one who looked like a man touched my lips and I opened my mouth and began to speak. Daniel was not called to fight the prince of uh, the darkness. But what was he asked to do? We are told that Daniel's lips were being touched and he was supposed to speak. 
Daniel was not supposed to fight the warfare, but what was Daniel's role? Daniel was supposed to brag about the victory of God. The, he was supposed to boast about what God had done. Daniel was not to run away from this spiritual warfare, but Daniel was there with his mouth to open, with God's help, with God's strength to speak about the victory he sees. And that's what we're called to do. What's our job? Not to fight and win the battle. Because only Jesus can fight Satan and defeat him. And he has done that. Our role is to stand and to brag about the victory of God. This may mean that sometimes we get hurt too in this warfare that goes on. Because as we stand too near the battleground, we can hear and can feel the heat of the battle. But yet we're not to run away. Our job is to brag, to tell the world the glory of the victory of Christ. And that's what Daniel's job is. Not to fight the warfare, but to speak and to challenge people to trust the victorious God. We are not runaway. Yes, church is difficult. There are people who will criticize and Satan loves that. He's behind a lot of, of that. But we're not to run away. Many people have often asked me, if you were to do everything all over again, would you still want to be a pastor? Despite all the scars, all the hurts, I would still say yes. Because that's what we're called to do. Our lips are being touched by God so that we will be able to speak of God's victory. There is a book that fascinated me for a long time. Uh, it's an award-winning book called Silence. Uh, Silence tells a story about a Jesuit priest named Father Rodrigues. Father Rodrigues was supposed to minister in Japan in the 17th century. And Father Rodrigues was a Catholic priest and he was sent to Japan because the priest there in Japan had just committed apostasy. The Japanese were very hostile towards Christians then and they were torturing and killing off Christians. And, uh, and one of the ways in which the, the Japanese tried to, uh, tried to encourage Christians to commit apostasy is what is called in the Japanese culture as Fumi-i. Fumi-i is a, is, a, is a cast image of Christ that they will make. It's actually a, a picture of Christ or a crucifix that's that is tied towards, uh, tied to, towards a, a piece of wood. In order, to, in order to force Christians to commit apostasy, what the Japanese will do to the Christians is that they will torture the Christians and they will stop torturing the Christians if the Christians would do what is called a fumii. That is, they will step on the statue of the crucifix or the image of Christ. And that was one way in which they would get the, uh, the, the church to surrender. When Father Rodrigues first arrived in Japan, he was a very proud man. He was so confident about his Christian faith that he was sure that he would never denounce his faith. And he was there to help the, 
the fledgling church in Japan to be strong so that they would not commit apostasy to. He was willing to fight out all persecution. He was supposed to be there to be the victor and to fight all the spiritual persecution. And sure enough, Father Rigost was finally captured by the Japanese authorities. They would not only torture him when they captured him, but they would also capture and torture the Christians. Allow Father Rodriguez to see some of the most grotesque torturing of Christians. And as he was being tortured and his uh, Christian friends were being tortured, the Japanese stood forward and asked him to do the Fumi, such as to encourage him Father Rigos to step forward and to step upon the crucifix of Christ. Father Rodriguez would not do it, but when he saw how his friends were being persecuted, when he saw them crying in agony, Father Rodriguez, with a great burden in his heart, finally said, Yes, I will do it. And when he did, he put his foot on the crucifix of Christ and thus the Fumi and stepped upon it. Father Rigos from that moment renounced his faith. He became a broken man. He was forced to work for the Japanese to help them ferret out the Christian missionaries that were hiding in Japan. The Japanese forced him to marry a Japanese girl. And you may say, what's wrong with that? You see, Father Rodrigo's was a Jesuit priest. He was not supposed to, be, to get married, but yet he did. He was forced by the Japanese. And later, when Father Rodrigo's died, the Japanese gave him a Buddhist funeral. But it was in the time when Father Rodrigo's was broken and thought that he had renounced Christ. He began to talk to another priest. And it was during those moments of brokenness, for the first time in years, he began to finally testify about Christ and his goodness. Many people who read this novel feels that, feel that Father Rodrigo's had really failed the mission of Christ when he stepped on the Fumayi. But when I read this novel, I think that the moment of salvation actually came when Father Rodrigo stepped on the Fumayi. Before he stepped on the Fumii, he thought he was supposed to fight all the battles, that he was strong enough, that it was all upon him. But when he realized that it was not upon him when he stepped on the crucifix, when he does the Fumii, he became a broken man and realized that's not about him, that he cannot save himself. And in his brokenness, finally, when he finally testified about, his, about Christ, he became truly the mouthpiece of Christ. When he realized that he could not save himself, that he needs this Christ who has the face of peals of lightning to save him. And finally, he could speak about the victory of Christ. We cannot save ourselves in the most difficult situations where we be, are being persecuted. You can't save yourself. You need to throw yourself at the feet of Jesus and let him save you. Our job is to brag about his victory.
Father, as we come before you, we thank you for these liberating words from the book of Daniel. We thank you that we can come before you and really pour our hearts before you and know that, Father, you are our Savior. That this is your battle against the princes of the world. And that the princes of the world do not stand in the way of what you will do. So Father, help us not to stand with the princes of this world. But help us to stand with your Son. To brag about the victory that your Son brings. Teach us, Lord God. Teach us, Lord God, to rely upon you. For those of us who are feeling the weight of persecution on our shoulders, help us to look to Jesus. He is indeed the priestly king warrior that we can look to. Thank you, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.